Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to the Grief Gang podcast with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. The message behind the Grief Gang is to normalise the topic of conversation that is grief. People living with grief can often feel ashamed, isolated and alone. This podcast was created to break those taboos after I myself experienced all of those feelings after the loss of my mum in 2016. I decided enough was enough and we need to talk about this. You'll hear on this podcast an array of stories and experiences, some being my own and some being fantastic guest episodes and their incredible stories. You'll laugh, you'll cry, but I hope above all, I hope you'll learn. I hope you'll learn that you are not alone in your grief journey, that you have a voice and it should be heard, that you and your grief matter. So without further ado, I'll let you enjoy the episode. Happy listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grief Gang podcast with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. We're doing it virtual, guys. We're doing it virtual. This is, I know I've been, I've been holding back on doing the old virtual for a while. I've been stubborn and depriving you all of some podcast goodies, but I've bitten the bullet and I'm finally going virtual. And yeah, it's, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. I've been having to battle with myself, but, um, it's the way of the world now. It's the way of the world. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess this is kind of the start of season two. I mean, I kind of seasoning it. I'm kind of not, as we all know, I just fucking wing it. But I'm kickstarting this season two with a fantastic lady that I've come to know on uh, during. Oh my god, can't get my words out during the online grief community. And I'm a huge, huge fan of what she's doing and what she has created in such a dark time and in such a short space of time um, and the support and the community that she is building around it. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Helen Smith, Lockdown Grief. 
Jim <laughs> myself, yeah. Hello, Amber. Hello, my lovely. So, so happy to have you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm doing okay. And I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so, so welcome. I honestly, I mean every word when I say I'm so I'm so in awe of what you've done. And when when you came on my radar, um, and I started seeing you and I was just saw like lockdown grief and guys will get into it even more about what lockdown grief is and I I started looking and I just thought oh my gosh this girl has started something in the middle of pandemic and after losing someone that she loves and just just the pure I'll just pure in awe of what you had done in such a fucking shit time in your life so soon. Yeah. But I'm not going to speak for you. I want you to tell us all about <laughs> it. <laughs> Okie doke. Where do you want me to start? Can, well, obviously, I guess I'll talk about the person that I'm, I'm doing it for, I guess. Yeah, just tell the little <laughs> listeners. I uh, said so the little listeners. <laughs> Sorry, guys, you're not little listeners. listeners. Um, just tell the listeners about who you are and who it is that you're lost and that we're talking about today, please. So I am Helen. I'm 32. I live in London, though I'm moving soon to Surrey. Um, and yeah, I run the Instagram account Lockdown Grief. And I set it up after losing my dad, Ian, last year to COVID-19. He passed away on April the 12th, 2020. Uh, yeah, in the middle of lockdown, in the middle of the pandemic. And as a way to cope, I guess, I started my own little online therapy as I call it which was my Instagram page uh, lockdown grief just to document my journey and my feelings and just to vent I guess with how I was feeling about it all yeah absolutely and um you say they're like my little thing it's not little it doesn't matter like what <laughs> I think what you've done is fantastic and like so many other other people like in the community and creating pages and stuff there's something there's something particular about for, for those who have lost during this past year either be to the virus yeah. or um just throughout throughout them this last year the and i can describe it's like the emotional maturity because like I, I look back to mine and it took me about it took me like three years after mum died to even like have this kind of thought to do something like this yeah. and i look back to that first year which is still just like a blackout for me but i look back and i think I I didn't have the emotional maturity granted yeah I was I was younger but I just thought like my head wasn't in the place of I could maybe help others with sharing my story so for those that have done that I absolutely take my hat off to you guys because amongst like I said in your darkest hour yeah as much as your page is obviously for you and, and your own therapy space you know you obviously knowingly or unknowingly you're helping others and how yeah. how does that feel for you? Like we're sort of going to go so it's, much more into it, but how does that feel for you? Knowing that just I think as most of us have done, we've started things for our own benefit. But yeah. for you, like how does that feel? It's a, it's a really bittersweet feeling. I'll be honest. Like you said at the start, I didn't I didn't set out for this to be something. I guess for other people, it really was. I suppose maybe a bit of a selfish thing, just a space for me to have where I could vent and. To be honest, I didn't really know anything about the grief community, as we call it now, on Instagram. Mm. I just found all you guys. And with that, I started getting, you know, a lot of messages from people, um, really kind messages, really supportive messages. And then so many messages from people that were just, look, you really, really helped me. I'm so glad I found your page. I'm so glad that I can relate to you. You know, I lost ABC to me and 
you know, your page has just made me feel less alone. And it really made me sit back and think, wow, like, you know, I, I didn't intend for it to be this, but actually that is one of the better reasons for having this page because the fact that I am helping people, even if I was maybe not aware of it at the start, mm. is a really, really nice feeling to have, you know, because especially with the whole lockdown grieving and you not having been able to see anybody, it is a way where you can feel connected to people. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's been great. You know what? Like I, I, I always say to people who message me that I hate that they can relate to me because I obviously wouldn't want anybody else to feel how I'm feeling. But the reality is that there are going to be people out there. So, you know, who are struggling and who in maybe a dark place like I was at the start and, to know that they feel a bit a little bit less alone by seeing my page and reading my story it is a really nice feeling to have to know that I am helping other people through this too so yeah it's definitely a positive for sure yeah you touch on a really good point there on I'm very much the same too when when people come to to our spaces and I, I say the exact same, Helen. I say the exact same of people when they say, you know, I say, I'm so glad that I found I found your page and whatnot. And the first thing I say is, I say, I literally, I say it all the time, I go, I go, I hate that you have to be here. Yeah. I really hate that you have to be here. But nonetheless, totally agree. you are here. And let me tell you that you are in good company. You're in good company with good people. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing, like all the people that I have, you know, virtually met through Instagram and the grief communities we keep calling it are just amazing people. And I think there's just this unsaid understanding, isn't there? A mutual understanding with everybody that we're all not in the same boat in terms of obviously who we've lost, but in the same boat with our grief per se and how we're feeling and just experiencing it all. And it is just it is a community, isn't it, of just mm-hmm. people who are heartbroken, but with that are supportive and understanding and just always, always there if you need a listening ear or someone to turn to. Absolutely, absolutely. Long live the, the grief space. <laughs> Love 100%, it. 100%, yeah. Um, Helen, would you, mind, would you mind going into a little bit about your story of... Um, of of this of the story of dad um yeah yeah as little or yeah, as much yeah, as you want course. darling yeah no of course so dad like i said i lost him to covid19 um he passed away on the april 12th last year and he first started feeling ill on march the 10th um and that was my mum's birthday so mm. that was actually the last day that i saw him as well because we'd met up for a family meal um and he just yeah he didn't feel 100% but he was still fine enough to you know come out and enjoy a meal and then the next day when I spoke to him on the phone he still wasn't feeling great he'd I think he'd planned to go out somewhere and had actually come back because he didn't feel good and put himself to bed which was really really unlike my dad because Mm. he was just a guy who would get on with stuff you know he he beaten cancer over 10 years ago and I never have any memory of him moaning or you know just feeling sorry for himself he would just get on with it so the fact that he'd gone to bed meant you know that he wasn't feeling good yeah and the day after that um he still wasn't feeling well so I think my mum encouraged him to call the GP and at this point COVID was getting spoken about but as you know we weren't in lockdown yet there weren't any restrictions or rules in place yet Mm. 
So I guess it wasn't something that was massively on our radar. We were just, you know, hearing whispers about it, but mm. nothing huge, I guess. So he went to see the GP. Um, he saw them in person and they ruled out COVID. They checked his chest um, and it was clear and he wasn't really presenting any of the symptoms that we were hearing about to look out for when it came to COVID. Right. So they just put it down to perhaps he's got a bad infection and they just told him to go home, rest, stay hydrated, you know, all the general advice that you get. Mm -hmm. And that was that. So he went home, bless him. And yeah, he he didn't feel good. Like he didn't leave bed for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And that is unheard of of my dad. And I think that was when my mum and my brother and I started getting more concerned because you know, we'd expect him to be in bed for maybe two, three days and start improving, but mm -hmm. he wasn't. So after a week, um, and it was just my mum and dad that lived together because I, I don't live with them anymore, and mum was keeping me updated and she'd said that she'd called the non-emergency number um, because by this point then everything was getting more virtual with COVID. Right. So she called them up and said, look, he's been in bed for a week, he's not feeling great said all the symptoms that he was presenting and again he's he wasn't breathless by that point he just had a really bad fever and he was feeling really weak okay. um and they said again you know keep him hydrated give him diora light you know just let him rest and he did that again for another week and it got to the point that he really, really was starting to struggle in terms of he couldn't even really get to the bathroom by himself because he just felt so weak. And it was only perhaps like a day before mum called 999 that he started showing signs of breathlessness. Mm -hmm. So by this point, she was like, OK, like a, something is going on here. So she called the non-emergency number again. And this time they advised, because he'd been ill for two weeks by this point, to call 999. Right. So she did, and the ambulance came, and apparently they tested his oxygen levels, and they were deemed critically low by this point. So, yeah, they, they took him off in an ambulance. My mum, bless her, obviously did, didn't think that he wouldn't be coming home again, so mm -hmm. she couldn't even kiss him goodbye. She oh. literally waved him off at the doorstep, because by this point they weren't allowed to go with with people because this was the 23rd of March mm -hmm. so it was the afternoon before the announcement of lockdown right. coming into play so by then she wasn't allowed to go with him to the hospital um I was in the office that day I was closing up and I got a call from my mum to say look dad's been taken to hospital don't worry you know he seemed to be okay he was responding to oxygen well so I mean obviously I worried a bit yeah. but I wasn't panicking too, too much because I thought, you know, if, if he's he was up and talking, apparently, to the doctors and nurses and stuff and was responding well to oxygen. So I was quite naively positive about it all, thinking, you know, I'm sure he'll be home soon. Mm. Um, and then lockdown got announced that evening. And then it was about eight o'clock in the evening. I got another call from my mum and she'd got a call from the hospital. And by this point, Dad had been intubated already. Um, he'd had a heart attack, we think, perhaps when he was actually getting intubated oh and he was in an induced coma. So 
honest to God, like it, it just flipped 180 yeah. in a space of hours and I just could not get my head around it. That was the point that I broke down. Mm. I just remember hysterically crying. My partner was at work, so I called him sobbing. He rushed home from work, bless him. And I was just like, dad's on a ventilator, dad's on a ventilator. You know, what the hell? I don't understand. And yeah, to be honest, after that, it was just a bit of an absolute surreal blur because yeah that was lockdown then we were in lockdown mm-hmm. and in normal circumstances I'd have jumped straight in my car exactly yeah driven down and, and to be with mum but I couldn't so I had to wait a week to self-isolate and mum was on at home on her own I was at home over here and we were just absolutely helpless because we, we couldn't do anything you know we obviously couldn't go and see dad I couldn't even be with mum I just felt you know just completely helpless yeah. when I look back on it. So, yeah, after a week um, of self-isolating, I then went back to be with my mum because I obviously was so worried about her as well because she just waved dad goodbye yeah. from the door, seen her husband taken away in an ambulance, then he'd been put on a ventilator and she was just at home on her own with no one there to talk to or to support her. Mm -hmm. So not only was I worrying about dad, but I was worrying about her as well. So I went back to be with her Mm -hmm. um, and I lived with her. You know, I just, I I was furloughed from work by this point, which was a blessing in disguise. Um, So I just packed a bag, didn't know how long I'd need to pack for and went back to be with mum. We stayed together for another three weeks and then that's when we got the call from the hospital to say there was nothing more they could do for dad. Um, We were fortunate enough to be allowed to be at his bedside. My mum, my brother, bless him, he raced, he lives two hours away, he jumped in his car and just raced down to be there um, and turned up in the hospital. We didn't even know if he was coming or not and he appeared and, yeah, Mm. it was horrific and it's something still now that I'm like I hate the fact that I have to say we were allowed to be at his bedside Mm. for his final moments because that shouldn't be something anybody has to say that should just be a given but it was the case that so many families during that time weren't allowed to be at the bedside you know they were saying goodbye over FaceTime or they weren't even able to say goodbye at all so the fact that I was able to be by my dad's side right at the end it was horrific and it was traumatising, but I'm so grateful that at least I was one of the lucky few in that time that could be there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so that was that, uh, <laughs> to put it, you know, in a casual nutshell. And um, I was back uh, just after that at mum's house. We were still in lockdown and we couldn't see anyone. Yeah. It was just so, so surreal. I just remember coming home from the hospital and you have to jump in the shower straight away and wash your clothes. Mm. And I just remember we were just sitting there in my mum's kitchen, just, yeah, I think we were all in shock because it's really, really hard to get your head around anyway, I imagine. But in these circumstances, it was, I, I describe it quite often as like being in a horror movie. Yeah. And then all of that happening and then just coming home and just sitting in the kitchen afterwards. Yeah, it was just such... Surrealness uh, of it, yeah. Such a surreal time, yeah, absolutely. I was... I was reading I was reading one of the articles that you wrote about and I feel like the way you described so many things, it it painted 
one of the most like clearest pictures for me that like, I could just I could envision it like yeah. even from like from all the photos that you shared of your dad and and obviously seeing pictures of you I could just I was I was reading through this article that you wrote for and I was I was for one I was sobbing <laughs> and oh. two I was just like and I think you really did a fantastic job of painting a picture for people of what um the climate that you were in the environment you were in when you yeah. saw your dad for the first time and it was this yeah. part that literally mouth aghast but it was this bit and I'm free from it yeah in the PPE we looked like something out of a fantasy space movie a hat gown apron shoe covers a face mask a visor and two pairs of gloves the visor hurt within minutes my head was pounding and I immediately started dripping with sweat as we were about to enter the ICU, I remember so clearly the nurse saying, it's not nice in there. So once we're inside, just make sure you look straight ahead and focus on following me and do your best not to cry as you won't be able to wipe your tears. And I just, I just, I could just, I could envision me be, being like next to you in that moment and just imagine the nurse saying, just keep your eyes on me. Almost as you're about to go into like the trenches. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely what it was like. Like, looking back on it now, I think immediately afterwards I blocked it out. I think any, you know, person kind of would. I think it's just a natural response to that sort of Mm. traumatic experience. But obviously now I do think about it more. And that's exactly what it felt like. It it was like we were being prepared for war. I arrived with my mum. We were running up up and down empty corridors in the hospital because we couldn't find where we had to go. I literally spotted a nurse in the distance and almost like screamed at her. Like I literally remember saying, please help me. My dad is dying and we have to go in and see him. And bless her. She was so, so kind. She found another nurse um, and they whisked us off into this little room And we had a nurse that was dressing us. You know, I had one guy looking after me. My mum had a woman looking after her, just dressing us in all of these clothes. Mm. And But they weren't ICU nurses, so they weren't actually allowed into the ICU ward. So we were waiting outside it so that they could get somebody to take us in. Mm. And, I mean, the double doors, they were all crisscrossed off with yellow and black hazard tape. Oh, my God. And then you go into like this first, I guess, waiting area before ICU and then there's just more hazard tape everywhere. And yeah, it is. It is. It's horrible. Like I I don't want to, I guess, upset anyone talking about the reality of it. But at the same time, people need to understand. Uh, but the thing is, Helen, it's like you, you say, like, you know, you don't want to upset anybody, but it's the reality and it's your reality as well. It is hundreds yeah, of thousands of people's reality. And, you know, as, and I think when I read that, of course I understood to some degree because the people like, like yourselves and so many people that I've spoken to within the community about those who have lost people during, during the pandemic and those to the virus. Um, there's only, and like with the news, there's only so much that the news can describe to you um, what it is in like like in this in these hospitals, but when you hear yeah. it straight from the horse's mouth of somebody who has lost somebody, I like I said I could literally envision me sat like standing there and watching you and you know yeah. you saying the visor hurt within minutes. It made it made me start thinking about of like obviously the nurses and the doctors who wear these every day, all yeah. hours every day, um, yeah. and just how yeah just keep keep following me. And do your best not to cry. You won't be able to wipe your tears. And I read further on in the article about how you said, like, you know, 
sort of like the time you you spent with dad you 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 almost felt like you had to cut it short not because you wanted to but because you literally couldn't like wipe your nose or wipe your tears away yeah yeah that was I remember you know I went in with my mum so like I said my brother bless him just jumped in a car and drove down Mm. afterwards and we didn't even know if he was coming or not I'd got on the phone call at home it was literally a case of get here as soon as possible Mm. and we did like car keys jumped into some sort because I think I was still in my pyjamas jumped into some sort of whatever clothes I could find um my partner was living with us too so he came in the car and it was just how you imagine it in a movie you Mm. know racing to the hospital jumping out I didn't even park the car I let my partner do it running down the corridors just trying to find a doctor and bless my brother I just remember with being with my dad and one of the nurses saying your brother's here and I felt such a sense of relief because we didn't know if he would make it in time mm. because mum and I had gone in um, first and so I'm just, I'm pausing now because I'm just thinking of it all and just, you know, yeah. it's such a blow and you actually try and think back moment by moment and I remember that the nurses started switching all the machines off oh. when it was just my mum and I and I said to them, please, like, can you can you not turn them off yet because my brother's coming down and I and he needs to be here and she said I'm really sorry no I can't and to this day I'm sure she had her reasons but I don't understand that I don't get if it's a case of keeping a machine on or turning it off why they just couldn't keep it on to make sure that my brother made it but thank goodness he did he got there I don't even know timings or how long it took him but I remember seeing him well, because dad was right at the end of the ward mm. in this kind of cordoned off thing with plastic curtains in his own private room. Mm. And obviously we'd been led there by this nurse. But my brother, I just remember seeing his eyes from through the visor from behind his mask, just flitting from side to side. And he was on his own. Yeah. And I could just see the panic in his eyes as he was trying to find us yeah. because everybody in there is all dressed in blue. I don't know how or why he how he got in there because we'd been led in, but he was by himself, bless him. Yeah. And it was just like he'd been thrown into this horror zone and was just trying to find his dad. So we tried to call him. And I remember, oh, I hate talking about it in a way, and I'm sure if my brother listens to this as well, like mm. I've never actually said it to him. But when my brother clocked us and came into that room and saw my dad he just let out this wail oh don't (laughs) yeah it's something I can support like honestly like he's my older brother he's two and a half years older than me I've never seen him cry and obviously thinking from his point of view he jumped car he'd driven down he lives two hours away that drive down and the panic that must have been building And, you know, to not know if he was going to get there in time or not. And I guess it was just, you know, not knowing what to expect, having Mm. had that time driving down, planning to build up, just seeing Dad. It all just, you know, the the relief, but also the horror coming out. But, yeah, he just wailed. Mm. And I, I remember kind of wanting to tell him to, like, don't cry, you know, don't cry because you can't wipe your tears, as I'd been yeah, told. Yeah, you're thinking practical, but then it's... It's natural instinct, isn't it? But yeah, and it, you just—I mean, there, there's not really any words to kind of. You just have to 
get on with it I guess Mm -hmm. and try and comfort each other as best as you can but I remember before my brother had arrived and I'd gone in with mum I was so anxious my heart was pounding out my chest I was dripping with sweat Mm -hmm. and the shock of seeing dad I think I think actually in hindsight I probably was on the verge of having a full-blown panic attack yeah yeah but because of the situation I obviously was trying to not but I think if I hadn't been with my mum, I wouldn't have lasted in that room maybe more than five, ten minutes. Yeah. I, I thought I was going to faint. Yeah. But I remember looking at my mum and just trying to not show her my panic because I didn't want to make the situation worse. Mm. But also trying to convey to her, like, oh, my God, like, this isn't good, you know, I'm going to faint. And I was just internally freaking out. Yeah. And mum just gave me a look and I don't I can't remember if she may, maybe mouthed something to me. I'm not sure, but she just like, made eye contact with me. And in that moment, I pulled myself together and I was mm-hmm. like, OK, no, I can't. I can't leave now. I have to stay. And I'm so glad I did, because obviously it must have been two minutes that I would have, you know, bailed mm-hmm. if it, if I'd been there by myself. But actually, we ended up staying there for as long as possible you know mm. and I'm and I'm so so glad for that but yeah it's just it's just such a horrible experience to have to have to do but at the same time the flip side is that I just didn't see my dad at all yeah and having not seen him whilst he was in hospital you know it's a really hard decision to have to make and i've had i've had some followers of mine message me where they've not been able to say goodbye to their to their loved ones who they've lost and they've said to me i i actually don't know what's worse not seeing them at all or seeing them and having this you know hor- horrible, horrible image stuck moments. in my head yeah it's yeah but one, yeah. but you know for me personally like i would do it again and again and again yeah. if it meant that i could be with dad at the end but yeah this is the whole thing with covid you're just faced with these choices and thoughts that you just shouldn't even have to face yeah yeah you've been you've been dealt the shit hand and you're you're making you're making you're making of it and what you have and one thing as well in the article that um that really i I was just like this is so interesting and i think it, it goes quite well into like why and you can t- tell me more but like if it sort of went into like with lockdown grief and sort of documenting your journey so in um in one part of the article you speak about you got back to your car with your partner and you asked how long have you been there and he said three hours and yeah. then you go into to say the sun was shining on my face I took my phone out took a deep breath and took a couple of photographs of myself taking photos of everything has always been something I'm renowned for photos on memories I can't explain why in the moment it was one of the first things I felt to do but maybe because the whole experience was so surreal having a photographic memory of that moment would be proof to me it did happen it was real and the pain was real the pain is real and even looking at that photo ahead and like I can just see even like just the, the distraught in your face and then even like yeah. even like the visor line on your forehead just yeah. of literally like you've been in battle and I think there's something really interesting and really special about that you felt in that moment this compelling feeling to go I need to document this not because hold up 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's something that you want to go, you know, like sharing on Facebook or yeah. whatever, you know, and gl- you know, yeah, go like, hey, course, yeah. like, I'm just, just back from seeing <laughs> Just hanging out for us to you. Yeah, I know, geez. <laughs> like, it's not for that, but I think it's almost as if like, uh, the way I can envision it, almost like your future self is thanking you for that. Now, do you, do you obviously now looking back, yeah, how, how do you like, feel looking at those photos now? The, it's tough, you know, what it's not, if they're not photos that I look at often, put it that yeah, way, yeah. but in a way, like, for lack of a better word, I'm, I'm glad that I have them because I think, I think part of it may be because the whole thing was so surreal. Like I said, it was like being in some weird-ass sci-fi movie. <laughs> and a lot of the time, perhaps you can doubt yourself whether that was really the reality yeah. because it was just so horrible. And to have those photos, it is almost like proof, like, no, your your feelings are valid and that did happen yeah. and it was horrific and it was traumatising and, you know, that was how your darling dad had his last few moments and... Yeah, like I, I still can't explain to you why I took them. It was just no, yeah, I, I get it. I totally back. get it. I totally get it. It's one thing that um, from people I've spoken to throughout this time that the the biggest thing is, and especially for those who either you know didn't get to be with their loved ones at their bedside or you know see them or have to have to see their their burial or see them die over FaceTime and and whatever sort of like video call you can from I remember speaking to somebody and they said it's almost like because it's it's like it's not tangible enough um and like when when you're just visualizing it and you're like just watching via a phone or whatever it may be um you know your memory can sometimes fail you and yeah. so, and then and then when your memory fails you, you then are kind of left to your own devices to make up the ending of how this went. And yeah. then that's when potentially things like denial can come in um, and can come... Denial, I think, plays a massive part in everybody's grief journey, but I think specifically for those who have lost during this time, denial is um, that stage in grief of denial yeah. is even more prolonged because of of how of the situation of how of how their person died um yeah so like for you having that documentation much it's horrible and looking back at that that version of you um i can imagine maybe in those moments of not like denial but of like shit did this really fucking happen 
Yeah. And you can go back and you might not want to go back. You might not want to go and look back at it, but you know that you've, it's almost like in a weird way, like evidence as much as, as much as you think like, you know, I saw, I saw my person die in front of me, but sometimes your mind will literally trick you and be like, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. They didn't die really. Yeah. And I think also like naturally in your, your mind's way of, I guess, just protecting you, it, it maybe lessens the blow, you know, and maybe makes me forget details of how it really was. Yeah. But I think, yeah, that, that photo, like you said, you can see the visor mark on my forehead yeah. and it brings you straight back to that moment. Mm. And it's like, no, it was real and it was that bad. And yeah, yeah, like I said, it's not, it's not a photo that I take joy in seeing, but mm. it's a photo that, I guess, yeah, I am glad to have because it just makes me feel, Yeah, I guess. And even though it's not good feelings, they're valid feelings. Yeah. And that was me when I just seen my dad die and it was real and I was broken. And I guess down, you know, 10 years down the line, when those feelings maybe have lessened and I can't remember it as much or, you know, this starts becoming some sort of blurred images, uh, blurred edges, that will be the image that will take me back to it. Yeah. And as much as you remember. say, as much as like, it's, you know, not an image that brings, you know, happy memories, stuff like that, but it makes you feel. And yeah. there could be moments, I, I know I've definitely been like it. There's times down the line where I've been a bit like, I even questioned like my grief for my mum, like because I, I I am in a comfortable position like with the loss of my mum, and that's not because of the years that I've gone by, just because of the like mentality that I've taken towards it and what it's taught me. Yeah. But there's times where I do question. I think, shit, do I feel? Do I feel like that shit anymore? And I will just yeah. sort of go through my album, and I did it even yesterday. I was um, yeah, me and my partner we were scrolling through my Instagram, and then we got to the bit of my Instagram where mum had died and I was like, oh, no, dead mum section. Let's scroll past that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, though. You do. Like, I often, even now, and I'm not, I'm nearing a year down the line, but I'm still just like, I have these moments where you, you do forget, I think, mm. or, you know, you just kind of carry on and then it smack bang hits yeah. you again that, no, he's really not here. Yeah. And that does happen with photos for sure. And then sometimes, same as you, I'll just find myself, you know, lying in bed. Just It's almost like I just want to feel close to him, I mm. think. Um, and I just end up, I've got an f- album on my phone just dedicated to my dad. It's just called Pops. Oh, yeah, me too. And it's too. just I've pictures like of that. him. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and I will just scroll through them. And I think may- maybe that's to placate the numbness that comes with grief mm. sometimes. And, you know, it, it will just make me feel again I guess yeah. just bring me out that numbness a bit and just make me feel closer to him obviously it makes me feel sad but yeah it's, it's still a, a feeling it's a strange it? old thing isn't it just sometimes when you get to that denial or that numbness yeah absolutely. and then the moments that kind of rip you back out of that yeah yeah and then so with the, with the photos and obviously so that's like a, it's like a key documentation for you so in touching back into like lockdown grief and obviously you started yeah. to document your journey um and I love the things you share and I love your realness sometimes and like for, for, there's things that you've shared before of like that time when that person came your, your DMs was so horrible and just like questioning of of how your dad died and I just I cannot wrap my fucking head around it. How 
some people can find a page dedicated to the loss of somebody to COVID and have the audacity to come in your DMs and and challenge you to it. Yeah. And like I know. And like, I how do you what and, and like so with things like that, Helen, obviously I'm sure, you know, you're 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 not you're not oblivious to it. And the people who even in probably like your everyday you know, even things like that's when you get like political and like anti-vaxxers and things like that yeah um seeing things like that when you know firsthand of what this virus can do how how are you navigating just through this everyday world now with sort of people going and flat out being like the thing that your dad died of nah not real mate like what the fuck I know it again it's just something that you could never imagine in your wildest dreams having to deal with mm. when you lose someone that you love that they're actually you know oh yeah how, they're, they're essentially saying how your dad died he didn't really die like that like, you know come on your line he must have died of something else and you know it's a joke or he must have died of something else and it I think again like I use this word so bloody often to describe <laughs> how I'm feeling about it all but everything is just so surreal mm. and that is a huge surreal part of it and you're right, like, COVID is so unique because you cannot bloody get away from it yeah. at all. At least this past year, you can't. I just remember, you know, sitting at home trying to switch off and watching TV and COVID adverts come on and yeah, you turn boom. on the radio and COVID adverts come on and you pop to the supermarket and there's COVID posters everywhere and, like, you cannot yeah. get away from it. Mm. And I think, unfortunately, part of that is that, you also can't get away from those horrible, horrible people who have the audacity to say that it's not real and to share anti-vax stuff and to ignore, like, all the rules that there are out there. Mm. And honestly, I think the best advice that I can give with that is just you just have to turn a blind eye mm. because the way I, I put it is that I have got a reserve of energy now. Yeah from going through what I've been through and from losing dad, you know, how exhausting grief is. Mm. And I've just got like this little reserve of energy and that energy is for keeping me calm, keeping me as happy as I can be, you know, keeping me focused on what I can control. Mm. And I just don't have the energy to waste yeah. on anger or, you know, calling people out as much as I want to, don't get me wrong, mm. but I think it's just... In some senses with people like that, I really do feel like it's fighting a losing battle. Yeah. Because they, they, you know, if they're that kind of person that is openly saying that, I don't think they're the kind of person that you're going to be able to change. Yeah. I don't know They've what it is, whether they're just... Up. Yeah, and I don't know if whether part of it is that actually they, they don't really have any feelings necessarily about COVID at all. It might just be that they're trolls that just yeah. kind of like an opportunity to wind people up. Mm. But... For me, you know, I know the truth. I know how my dad died and it was of COVID. Mm. I know the reality of it. And I can't control the people that think otherwise. And good for them that they're not in a position where they've had to understand the the reality of it. Mm. But, yeah I, I, yeah, I just do have to turn a blind eye because I think I would just get to a place where I'd probably have a breakdown yeah. because the energy that it would take to keep fighting yeah. essentially a losing battle against these idiots, yeah. it just wouldn't be worth it. Absolutely. And you're always going to have people like that, aren't you, unfortunately? That's just the way of this world that you just have absolute morons like that. It, isn't is. it? And it is. I think also with that, like, I, I do... 
kind of take on a lot of my dad's personality because mm. my dad was so laid back and horizontal <laughs> and he had this he just never really got stressed and if he did he'd never ever show it yeah. he was just so chill and he had this really great life outlook where he was just like if you can't change people then don't worry about it don't waste energy trying to change them just let them be you carry on you know you know the truth you know what's real don't waste energy trying to change people that aren't wanting to change. Yeah. So I think with that, I take a lot of that on uh, because... Well, yeah, Helen, it very much <laughs> sounds like you are and you're following in Dad's footsteps. And um, and yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's a word, that's a straight word. And you have to you have to preserve your energy. And that, like you said, you know the truth, you know what happened. And no matter what, you know, the, the media or all these strange fucking trolls online want to spew out... You, yeah. you saw your dad and you saw what it had done to him and yeah. nobody can deny that from you. But yeah. I wanted to ask you as well, like, so obviously, yeah, dad, dad's one-year anniversary is coming up soon and obviously the yeah. ever-looming ever, the ever end date of lockdown is coming. I just wanted to know, like, how are you feeling about lockdown um, lifting? Because um, I, th- I think about it a lot. I think about it a lot for the people who have lost during this time and what comes to mind for me and... and I think, okay, so the people who have lost you in this past year, they've lost somebody and and with that our normal our normality has gone as well. The normal way in how we grieve and how we come together as a community, being our personal communities as a larger community has been stripped from us. So people have yeah. had to make do i.e., you know, whether turning to the online grief community, uh, de- dealing with their, finding their own sort of rhythm at home, or, you know, there's no... I feel like maybe potentially people have almost found their feet with their grief, and please forgive me if I'm wrong and stuff like that. It's, it's, I'm just trying to put my myself in the feet of the people who have lost, and yeah. I can imagine that if I lost, if I lost my mum in this last year and... And I would, you know, as we know, the world the world continues and we have to put our feet yeah. on each other. I feel like I would have found like a, a quote unquote rhythm. And then with, yeah. with the, the announcement of lockdown lifting here in the UK, I feel like that would maybe like, even for me, like it's bringing on anxieties of like, yeah. oh, being a positive that it has been for lockdown because... You know, I haven't had ways to distract myself Mm. and I haven't been able to go out to the pub and get blind drunk, you know, to ignore it. And I haven't even been able to see friends and family, really. Like, I've literally just had to sit at home and and think about it and grieve. But I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm. But the thing with it now is that now I have to face the real world with the world reopening. Yeah. And... It's almost like I want to do it very bit by bit. Yeah. Granted, because, yeah. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel. It's a really... It's, and I do think about this often because obviously a lot of people ask me as well and I'm just like... I think when it... With me, I'm very much a person who I don't like to overthink things. Yeah. Because if I do... It's your dad, there you go, your dad coming through. (laughs) Literally, I don't like to overthink things because if I do, it's just going to get me worked up and panicked and stressed about things that I can't control. I really have this year had my mantra be focus on what you can control Mm -hmm. and take everything one tiny step at a time. And that has literally been the thing that's gotten me through Mm. because, you know, I couldn't have predicted 
any of this in my wildest dreams. And so to me, it's kind of put it into my forefront of just how much you cannot control stuff. Mm. And so the way that I deal with it is literally just take it as it comes bit by bit. Deal with what you can manage. Anything else, don't worry about, you know. And I think that's what I just keep repeating to myself, you know, like when you go back to work, because I did go back to work for like a month last year when things reopened for a bit because I work in the tourist industry. So obviously um, most things have been closed for most of the year, but there was that time where it opened and I went back to work. And it was fine. It was lovely seeing people and it was done, you know, I guess in a manageable bite-sized chunk where I only saw a few people and I was only working in the office for a few days. So it was kind of easing myself back in slowly, but I was very, very aware back then that I probably wasn't quite completely ready. It was a lot, you know, I was going just back out full stop into London, getting on the tube and, you know, COVID is still everywhere and seeing people who'd known what I'd been through and having to tell all of them again and answer all their questions about it. And I think doing that first has warmed me up a bit for when I do go back to work the second time. Okay, yeah. Because I've kind of had that as a bit part warm-up, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. To what it'll be like when I fully go back. Mm. And I think that's how I'm just going to try and deal with everything else. Like, I'm not going to be rushing to the pub if I don't feel comfortable with it. And I'm not going to be seeing loads of people just because I can. Mm. I'm really going to be conscious of actually whether I feel comfortable with something. And I guess, like, you have to be quite selfish with it. Yeah. And I'm not going to put myself into a situation where I don't feel comfortable just for the sake of seeing a mate. As much as I'd love to see that mate, you know, I have to put myself and my well-being first. Absolutely. You have to preserve your energy. And I've, that's, that's one thing that I've heard quite a lot of few times. People have, um, have had quite a lot of apprehensions, obviously, to lockdown lifting because um, like that little space here in the UK where we could go out during the summer... Um, some of some people said they did like use the excuse of like they're just like no like I I can't like I, I, we can't and stuff like that when yeah. when they felt like they knew that they could when obviously things had lifted a little yeah. bit but people are scared of they're like I'm scared of lockdown lifting because lockdown was like Ooh. a good excuse for me to get out of things and sort of see people and that fear of having to talk to them about my grief or my person when I'm not just ready yet um and I say to people still you get used to what saying no oh I think I've lost her oh no guys we're back we had a little bit a little bit of tech issues there but <laughs> what can we say <laughs> sorry my um, bad I was, I was just talking and, and <laughs> Helen just dropped off the face of the earth <laughs> I'm sorry I'm back yeah technical issues don't mind me <laughs> it is what it is we've got to keep it real this is what happens when we take things virtually see guys this is why I was so apprehensive to do things because I've just and not even from you Helen it's it's the world of it the technology <laughs> you can have the most tip-top tech and whatever and it will still sometimes fail you but it's fine we will pick up just where we left off so Helen I've just got two more questions just for you and okay. these are some of my like most favorite questions because um I think it just really gives you an opportunity to almost like reflect on your journey and this last coming up year for you. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to ask you, what what's your outlook on life now? Like, is it, do you, do you feel like in your in bereavement journey, it's given you like some positive things to like, your outlook now or even negative things? I just want to know, what is your outlook on life now? It's definitely a mixture of both for sure. I mean, I think lost during lockdown has brought all the anxiety that comes with it. I mean, as we mentioned before, I think people who haven't even suffered a bereavement have got anxiety about the world opening up again. So mm. 
for me especially, I definitely do have that anxiety. But at the same time, there there are positives. I think you always have to try and look for the silver linings. And I think, you know, it sounds stereotypical to say, but losing someone close to you really, really does just shove it into your face, just how precious and short life can be. And mm. I definitely, definitely stress a lot less about the small stuff now. I find that I really, really just don't care about anything that mm. doesn't matter. I'm just a bit like, you know what, that really is a waste of energy. I've seen now fully and felt fully what is important and what matters. And if it's not something that's actually going to affect my life in the long run, then, yeah, I, I don't stress about it anymore. So that's that's a nice silver lining for sure, because I probably admit that beforehand I did used to overthink a little bit and worry about things that I probably couldn't control. Whereas now I'm like, nah, I don't have the time for that. I don't have the energy for that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's been a positive. And, yeah, I think you just kind of grasp life with two hands when something like that happens, don't you? Because you just... For me personally, anyway, I just want to make sure that I live my life to the fullest, as cliche as that sounds, especially in honour of my dad. Um, and mm. I just want to make the most of all the opportunities that come my way. And yeah, I probably do have a bit a bit more perhaps get up and go than I did before, because I think, yeah, you just realise life is short and life is precious. So you just have to go for it whilst you can. Yeah, you really do realise just how much of like borrowed time we're on. Yeah. And it can be quite intense, isn't it, for people like in our lives who potentially haven't experienced a loss in their lives. Um, we could maybe potentially come across like intense or like almost like this incense, like insane amount of not even like drive, but just this, yeah, it's no lease for life of tomorrow isn't promised today yeah, is all we've exactly. got and what are we going to do with it and I think some people could presume that it's constant like we're constant like either like thrill seekers or stuff like that and it's not that t- not at all like I'm I'm, I'm pretty lazy like half of the yeah. day but like I, I know that I've done things on like my terms and I've I've made the best of the day yeah exactly you, you know, know what, what I mean? like I, I do feel it quite often I say to myself and I'm just like it really is a time that you do just have to be selfish. I think once you experience a loss and you're grieving, grieving is a selfish process because you have to put yourself mm. first and you have to look after yourself for your own mental well-being. And I think just so that you, I guess, find a reason to keep on going. And yeah, yeah, for me, like similarly, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm especially not now during lockdown. I'm not out there doing a lot at all, really. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you do just I think I go about things a lot more guilt free, I guess. You know, like if yeah, I yeah. if I have a day of doing absolutely nothing and I just want to pig out on McDonald's or, you know, there's just not mm. a lot of guilt with stuff anymore because I'm just like, why? Why do we why do we waste time of our lives feeling guilty about something that is just me living and doing what I want to do and I think that yeah that is definitely what the loss of dad has taught me is just like enjoy life don't sweat the small stuff anymore um and I think in terms of just what previously I would have thought of as life problems or life stresses I definitely feel like I can handle a lot more now because in my mindset is, yeah. well, I have gone through the worst thing possible and I've survived it. So actually everything else is just a bit of an inconvenience and I'll get through that too. So, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it for sure has made me 
think of life in a much more grateful way, in a much more positive way, just trying to find the silver linings in everything, I guess. Love that, Helen, love that. It's, um, and I suppose you're going to this last question, like when you, when you look back at, um, you know, yourself in, in those very, very early stages and in that moment, you, if someone was to come to you and say, like, you, you will have this outlook on life, you know, within just over a year's time. You would think, what the fuck? No, I know yeah. I will not. And it's incredible to see the journey. So um, to round up this amazing, amazing conversation, I want to ask you, if you could go back and tell your freshly bereaved self some helpful advice about the journey that you've been on today, what would it be? What would you say to that, Helen? Oh, what would just I got say back to into that? The car? Yeah. <sighs> It's a tough one, you know, because in so many ways I'm fully aware that I am still very much in the early stages and still learning. But yeah. I guess, funny enough, I was chatting about it with my partner the other day and I was talking about my Instagram and the opportunities that I've had as a result of that. And I was like, you know what? If you'd told me a year ago when I lost Dad that in, the, in this year that's passed since that I would have been on national television three times speaking about him that I'd have done amazing podcasts like this that I'd have had writing of mine published in a book about life and death um had newspaper articles written all of which I've done not in an arrogant way but it is something that I am so so proud of and never would have imagined back Mm -hmm. then and I think I would tell myself look this loss is obviously going to be life-changing and it's going to be traumatic and it's going to be upsetting. But with that, there are still going to be highs. You will get through this. Keep taking each day as it comes and you will find your reason to keep on going and you will find your new lease of life and just don't give up, you know. And a lot of the stuff that I do day to day now, as I'm sure you'll probably agree, is that you do a lot of the stuff in honour of your loved one. And that, for me, really mm. does keep me going. So, yeah, I think I think it would just be that, you know, that you will be so proud of yourself and all that you've achieved in this past year. And you'll have done it in mm. honour of your dad. And that's amazing. And just to keep on going, because to have come through what I've come through, I guess, um, in such a surreal time is a big achievement. And yeah, I I guess I'm proud of myself. And I would just tell myself that uh, I would do better than I expected, if that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? I guess like when I think of actually giving myself advice, it's just, yeah, I guess the stereotype will just, you will get through this and you will be okay. amazing amazing and you should be so proud of yourself Helen like like I said in the very beginning of this podcast of just how the emotional maturity to go you know within a year so specifically date wise when did you start lockdown grief I I looked this up the other day actually because I wasn't entirely sure and it was a week after my dad's (laughs) funeral so it was in mid-May and I think it was then because that was the time that everything had happened in the in the weeks of the blur that it were where I'd arranged the funeral Mm. and then we had the funeral and then suddenly that was the point that I found myself back home in isolation still unable to see anyone Mm. still unable to you know get on with normal life per se and that was the point I think that the isolation really started to kick in when I needed to look for Mm. something I guess to help me and to give me a bit of purpose so yeah it was uh, mid-May last year that 
my lockdown grief started and yeah as I said it's just it has been such an amazing journey for me and I'm just so so grateful for all the incredibly supportive people including yourself that I've met virtually um in that time yeah I know so. it's strange isn't it that we've like we've created such lovely bonds and connections yeah. with each other and we've all only met each other via the dms I know you actually forget that you've not met people in real life like, <laughs> yeah, I know, Amber, she's a good old friend of mine you know <laughs> But literally, yes. <laughs> I always go. I'm always like, oh, my friends and my friends, and yeah. I'm like, oh my god, I've never met them, but they're still my friends. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, you are. And that's the thing. So, yeah, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been a whirlwind, but here I am, still going, still fighting. Here each you day. are, <laughs> absolutely, and absolutely thriving. Well, Helen, please tell the people where they can find you. Please drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it. So I'm on Instagram, and my handle is Lockdown Grief. Perfect. Thank you so much, guys. Please do send Helen some love. Check out her stuff. And yeah, you won't regret it. Well, Helen, this is it. This is our time. Thank you unbelievably so much for doing this and for coming on. Um, It's been an absolute honour for me to hear you speak and to talk about your lovely dad. And I cannot wait to see what comes more of Lockdown Grief. Oh, thank you so much, Ariane. It's been absolutely great to have been chatting with you. And I can't believe it that I'm going to be on the Grief Gang podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's an honour for me, you know, because we love to see it. We love to see it. Amazing. Your podcast was one of the first I listened to, so... Now I'm just excited. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be on the grief gang. You know, you helped me so much in my early days. And so, yeah, it's an honour for me. Um, the honour and pleasure is all mine. Oh, thank you, my lovely. Thank you so, so much. Grief gang, this has been me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. If you like what you hear, you know what to do. Subscribe, leave a little review, leave us some lovings and have a lovely, lovely week. Bye. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it and it set your week off to a great start. Whether you've laughed a little, cried a little, I mean, I think crying is good for the style, or you've resonated with something that was said, thank you for listening and spending time out of your day to do so. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and subscribe. In doing so, you're ensuring that lots more people get to find the Grief Gang podcast and hopefully help them too. If you're not already, check out The Grief Gang on social media platforms such as Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. I'm most active on the Instagram page where I love, love, love to connect with you all. For now, take care and big, big love. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.